Welcome listeners, but take heed. We will say whatever we need to share our knowledge, thoughts, and joy, and even things that do annoy. So join us now, but be aware, we have a tendency to swear. We'll dial it back a little bit, but frankly, we don't give a shit. Welcome to Just Keep Rolling, a Harry Potter book movie compare and contrast podcast. I'm Katie, and the will of the wisp to my right is Ellen. That's me. <laughs> Let's just keep rolling into the rolling rehash. Last week, we covered Chapter 11, aboard the Hogwarts Express and the corresponding film scenes. Arthur tried to appeal to his kids by wearing his robes backwards like Criss Cross. Amos Dickory received a warm welcome from the Weasley's hearth, despite being the bearer of bad news. Molly, Bill, and Charlie all made sure to pique everyone's interest by teasing the super-secret mystery thing happening at Hogwarts this year. Ron practiced his new teenage side-eye on Harry for daring to buy him some sweets. Hermione explained that the school is hidden from muggles by being disguised as a hipster photo hotspot. Draco showed off his summer of personal growth by being the exact same little shit he's always been. Cho Chang brought some new life into Harry's already crazy hormones. And even Hedwig knew that it was a stupid idea to write Sirius Black's whole name on his letter. During episode 74, Giggling Girls and Awkward Boners, our Potter ponderings were, Could the Ministry have used Priori Incantatum to investigate Moody's wand to see if he performed magic improperly? Or do you think Moody knows a way to clear the evidence? Carly said, as far as the Ministry using Priori Incantatum, she thinks Barty Crouch Jr. would know the Deletrius spell that Mr. Diggory uses. She feels like he could have cleared it before the Ministry got there. Juliana is sure fake Moody, spoilers, had a way to clear evidence. She thinks it was more likely that if they asked for his wand, he would have talked his way out of giving his wand, like Hermione did in Gringotts and Deathly Hallows. You think I performed magic in front of muggles? Sarah said she would assume it's Death Eater 101 to learn Deletrius, just as it is Criminal 101 to destroy a SIM card or not leave a paper trail. Makes sense. Mm-hmm. Quincy said he was always under the impression that it only went back to the last spell used, kind of like the last button on the remote. You can only go to the last channel you were on and not like six channels back. For the record, my parents' remote does go like six channels back and it messes with me so bad. It's like magic. Yeah. It's crazy. Anyway. Dave thinks Priori and Wands are like computers. There would be hackers finding ways to do things and delete things, but also hackers working for the ministry figuring out how to find what the hackers are hiding. Ooh. Mm-hmm. Levels. Some CSI Hogwarts right there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I would watch that. <laughs> Max thinks Priori and Cantatum only works for the last spells in that context. Otherwise, if you did it to Harry, there would be a lot of Expelliarmus spells. Yeah, there really would. Jackson said that if the improper use of magic office had gotten a hold of him, it definitely would have happened. Priori and Cantatum is one of their most used spells to gather evidence. Yeah, so, so it would make sense. Yeah. Our next Potter pondering was, if a muggle ignores the danger ruin signs outside Hogwarts and goes exploring, do you think they would end up thinking they are wandering around actual ruins, or would they eventually get through the enchantments and actually find Hogwarts? Carly said she has thought a lot about the danger ruin sign and assumes there are more protections, like a forgetfulness charm that takes over if someone passes that. 
So it kind of makes them turn around and forget what they were doing or remember something important that they need to do at home or something like that. Hmm, that's an interesting thought. Juliana agrees and says she always assumed that Hogwarts also had forgetfulness charms to deter muggles from wandering. Sarah has thought a lot about muggles and the danger sign outside of Hogwarts when she was writing the second Hermione Granger book, since she had the Grangers come to the school while she was petrified. She had this funny, drunken, headcanon idea that the gargoyles had the ability to perform memory-slash-confusion charms similar to the charms they performed at the Quidditch World Cup, and McGonagall had to keep reminding the gargoyles to leave the Grangers alone. <laughs> Quincy would like to think the same kinds of spells from the Quidditch Stadium would be on Hogwarts. Like, if they get too close, they would probably remember something important they had to do first. Dave always assumed that ruins meant just like stones and rocks. Yeah, it's cool to look at big piles of rocks, but not that interesting. Castle ruins like walls or have rooms would be way cool, and he thinks muggles would want to explore those more. He thinks they would see boring ruins. Max imagines that it's so far out of the way that the sort of people that would ignore danger signs aren't going to find it. And that being said, he would totally ignore the danger signs. Yes. Mm -hmm. Same here. I think I'm going to make a poll. <laughs> Jackson actually thinks if they went exploring the ruins, anti-muggle jinxes would make them turn back like at the World Cup. So that seems to be the pretty general consensus there is that... The prevailing theory, yes. Yeah that there was more layers to it. Mm -hmm. I still really want to just imagine like random backpackers finding these old ruins and going, hey, let's go check them out. And then they get to a certain point and it becomes a fucking castle. Right. What the fuck? <laughs> and then they're just kind of wondering what kind of drugs they did. See? It's or they know what drugs they already did. Well, yeah. But for funsies, we also asked, what do you think Rita Skeeter would write about Jesus? Carly doesn't really know a lot about the Jesus man, but she thinks Rita would probably call him a dirty thief who hangs out with the lowest of low people. And he's obviously lying about being the son of God. Obviously. Obviously. Juliana thinks that Rita would have come up with something ridiculous to write about Jesus. Sarah said, and just for funsies, Rita would totally make Jesus into a pansy-ass snowflake liberal and probably hint at his sexuality. Why else would he hang out with 12 guys? There's probably a lot of truth in that. Oh, yeah. That's probably exactly what she would do. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Socialist, maybe? Dave wrote, As the crowds gather around this self-proclaimed heir to the throne of God to hear his last words upon the cross, is he really the savior of all mankind, as he claims? Or is it a pathological need for attention or fulfilling his psychotic death wish? He looks up, eyes glistening with the ghosts of his past, and says... Hey, Peter, I can see your house from here. It seems we have our answer. <laughs> Quincy thinks Rita Skeeter would probably say some shit about how Jesus Christ was out there fucking Mary Magdalene out of wedlock or something. She was probably literally a beetle on the wall. I feel like she'd watch. Oh, definitely. She's totally a voyeur. <laughs> Jackson said that Skeeter would probably use the same insult she used to describe Bill. A long-haired pillock. She'd probably call him a religious zealot trying to convert people with trickery. Thank you so much for all of your responses. These were quite excellent, even if Quincy did dial back the swearing this week. He really did. We love Only him. Only two? I what? mean, come on. What am I supposed to do with my time, Quincy? Damn. <laughs> no good rants for Katie. <laughs> and pretty soon he's going to get to do his own rants. So. I know. I'm going to miss him. Hmm. 
And we'll get to listen to them. It'll be great. That'll be even better. (laughs) Our trivia question last week was, what three magical beings go into a bar in the joke Dumbledore starts to tell after the feast? Dumbledore gets sidetracked by Fred's exclamation that he's joking and starts to tell one about the troll, the hag, and the leprechaun who go into a bar. McGonagall clears her throat and Dumbledore returns to the subject at hand. I'm not going to lie. I kind of want to know what the rest of the joke is. We should make that a bonus Potter pondering. Yes. Make up the rest of the joke. (laughs) But congratulations again goes to Mike Riley. He's up to three weeks in a row. Let's see if he can keep it going. Yeah. Bring it on, Mike. For now, let's just keep rolling into the first half of Chapter 12, the Triwizard Tournament, and the not really corresponding film scenes. Chapter 12, The Triwizard Tournament, Part 1 The rain is coming down so hard that the carriages are swaying dangerously. Lightning flashes as they stop in front of the castle and everyone hurries into the entrance hall, soaking wet. Without warning, they're bombarded by a large red water balloon that hits Ron on the head and explodes. A second one drops, narrowly missing Hermione, and Harry looks up to see Peeves the poltergeist taking aim. Professor McGonagall's angry voice tells the poltergeist to come down at once, and in her haste, she skids on the wet floor and steadies herself by grabbing Hermione's neck. She apologizes to her, then yells at Peeves again, who insists he's not doing nothing, the little squirts are already wet. After McGonagall threatens to call the headmaster, Peeves throws the last of the water bombs and zooms away, cackling. McGonagall ushers the students into the Great Hall, which looks its splendid self for the feast. Harry, Ron, and Hermione head to the seats at the Gryffindor table, right next to nearly headless Nick, who greets them with a good evening. Harry doesn't agree that it's good because he's soaking wet and starving, though he is looking forward to the sorting of the first years because he hasn't been to one since his own. Colin Creevy's excited, breathless voice says hi to Harry and tells him that his brother Dennis is starting this year and asks him to keep his fingers crossed that he will be in Gryffindor. Harry says all right and asks Ron and Hermione if siblings usually end up in the same houses, and Hermione points out that fellow Gryffindor Parvati Pato's twin is in Ravenclaw and they are identical. They look up at the staff table and realize that there isn't anyone in the Defense Against the Dark Arts teacher's seat. Hermione worries that they couldn't get a new one since they hadn't yet had a teacher that lasted more than three terms. As Harry's eyes scan over the head table, the enchanted sky flashes with lightning and Ron complains about being hungry. Then the doors open and Professor McGonagall leads in the first years, who look even more wet than the trio. One little boy is wearing Hagrid's moleskin overcoat. He catches Colin Creevy's eye and gives him a thumbs up, looking delighted as he mouths that he fell into the lake. McGonagall sets out the stool and the sorting hat, which breaks into song about the sorting, which Harry realizes is a different song than the one he heard. Ron explains that it sings a different one each year, and then McGonagall begins to call out names one at a time as the sorting officially begins. When she calls out the name Dennis Creevy, The little boy in Hagrid's coat stumbles over it as he makes his way to the stool. He puts on the hat and is sorted into Gryffindor, where he joins his brother at the table and tells him about falling into the lake and how something grabbed him and pushed him back into the boat. Colin thinks it must have been the giant squid and then points out Harry Potter. 
Harry determinately watches the sorting as Ron continues to complain about being hungry, which gets him admonished by nearly headless Nick. The sorting finishes and he looks expectantly at his plate when Dumbledore stands up to share two words, tuck in. The plates fill with food and Ron fills his mouth with food. Nearly headless Nick tells them that they're lucky there is a feast tonight because Peeves caused havoc in the kitchens and terrified the house elves. Realizing that there are house elves at Hogwarts, Hermione knocks over her goblet and begins to ask Nick about them, wondering if they get paid and holidays and such. Nearly headless Nick laughs and tells her that they don't want those things. Hermione pushes her food aside, refusing to eat any more, saying it was made by slave labor. The rain continues to come down as the food clears and desserts appear. Ron tries to tempt Hermione, but the glare she gives him makes him give up. After they finish eating, Dumbledore stands again to make his real announcement, informing the students of the latest objects on Filch's banned items list. He also reminds them that the forest is out of bounds, as is the village of Hogsmeade to all under third year, and then adds on that the Interhouse Quidditch Cup will not take place. This appalls Harry, Fred, and George, and the other Quidditch players, as Dumbledore continues on to explain that it's because they will be hosting an event starting in October that will take up much time and energy. Before he can share what it is, the doors to the Great Hall bang open and a man in a black traveling cloak stands there. He's illuminated by a sudden strike of lightning and lowers his hood to reveal a long mane of dark grizzled hair. The man limps his way towards Dumbledore with an alternating thump on every other step. Another flash of lightning throws his face into sharp relief, emphasizing a badly scarred face and a vivid blue fake eye that moves independently of his normal eye. He reaches Dumbledore who shakes his hand and gestures to an empty seat to his right. The stranger sits down and cautiously begins to eat as Dumbledore introduces the new Defense Against the Dark Arts teacher, Professor Moody. Harry, Ron, and Hermione look at him in fascination, wondering if it's the same Moody Mr. Weasley went to help, and what happened to his face. Dumbledore clears his throat and returns to his speech, announcing that the Triwizard Tournament will be taking place at Hogwarts this year. Fred loudly exclaims, you're joking! And this not only helps to defuse the tension, but it also briefly distracts Dumbledore from his point. He starts to share a joke he heard about a troll, a hag, and a leprechaun who all go into a bar, but resumes his announcement about the tournament after Professor McGonagall clears her throat. The movie scene opens on the silhouette of large winged horses flying through the air, trailing a large carriage. The Hogwarts students watch with excitement from the covered bridge as it flies around the castle and towards Hagrid, who is attempting to direct their landing with paddles. He turns away and calls for the runway to be cleared and looks back at the carriage, realizing he needs to dive out of the way before it lands on him. Everyone laughs as one of the twins says, there's something you don't see every day. The camera then cuts to a large mast rising out of the lake with a person standing in the crow's nest. The entire boat emerges from the water with a splash and sails lower, depicting a large red crest. The camera zooms out to show a wide shot of the boat and the castle as Professor Dumbledore's voice can be heard saying he'd like to make an announcement now that they are all settled in and sorted. The scene cuts to behind Dumbledore at his podium as he addresses the students sitting at the Hogwarts tables in the Great Hall. The door opens and Argus Filch jogs in and up the aisle as Dumbledore continues to announce that Hogwarts will be the home to some very special guests. 
He starts to say that Hogwarts has been chosen, but is interrupted as Filch reaches him and whispers something in his ear as he gestures towards the door. Dumbledore whispers back to tell them to wait, and Filch goes jogging back down the aisle. Returning to his speech, Dumbledore explains that Hogwarts has been chosen to host a legendary event, the Triwizard Tournament. So, there is actually quite a lot in this section that is similar, but it also brings in information that we weren't previously given, and adds in information that we aren't actually supposed to get yet. Yeah, the movie scene opens on Cinderella's pumpkin carriage going batshit crazy and flying out of the sky, while Hagrid plays aircraft marshal. Because, you know, why not? That seems totally normal. Well, it's not how it happened in the book. Is it ever? Rarely. Yeah. (laughs) The Hogwarts students apparently decided not to go to the start of term feast and watch from the covered bridge as the carriage nearly lands on Hagrid. One of the twins says, there's something you don't see every day. Oh, oh, wait, wait. Say it with confidence. Got it. It was George. 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 Damn it. We still can't get this right. One of the twins. But this is quite different from the book, as Bobaton does not arrive in this scene. Nope. The book chapter starts out as the storm continues to worsen while the carriages make their way towards the castle. The students rush inside to escape the weather once they reach the stone steps leading into the castle. Harry, Ron, Hermione, and Neville hurry inside out of the rain into the entrance hall, and while Ron is complaining about how wet he is, he gets soaked once more by a large red water balloon dropped from above. That would piss me off so bad. I know, even if you're already wet. Another bursts at Harry's feet, and the students begin pushing each other, trying to avoid the water bombs being hurled at them by Peeves the poltergeist. Peeves? Peeves? I know. Peeves. I got nothing. Nothing. Nothing at all. Can't even say Ed Sheeran for this one. No. I mean, we could. (laughs) (laughs) Peeves. Was that Ed Sheeran? No. Ah, shit. Well, then I got nothing. Peeves doesn't even get mentioned in the movies. No, not at all. Like, Charlie at least exists in name. Yeah. Peeves is just poof. How'd that go again? Poof. (laughs) (laughs) Professor McGonagall comes rushing out of the Great Hall, slipping on the wet floor, and uses Hermione's neck to steady herself as she shouts for Peeves to come down at once. Peeves says he's not doing nothing since they're already wet as he continues to lob the balloons at students still arriving. Professor McGonagall threatens to call the headmaster, and Peeves throws the last of the water bombs, sticks his tongue out, and zooms away cackling insanely, because he's mature. Mm-hmm. She ushers the students into the great hall, and they grumble as they slip and slide on the floor through the doors. I'm sorry, that's funny as hell. <laughs> How great would that have been to see? However, that would just... All I can think about is those are like marble floors. That would hurt like fuck if to you hit. Fell. Yeah go and ask first like that would be terrible yeah but for a movie that they were trying to make into a comedy how do you leave this shit out right exactly this was golden it was already gift wrapped for them as comedy seriously and then we'd get to see peeves but no you're gonna have hagrid nearly get crushed by a giant ass carriage sure why not shouldn't have even happened at that point in the movie so Why not have him slip on a banana peel while you're at it? Right? He's just going to add random shit in. Damn. 
Let's just keep rolling. As always. The Great Hall is decorated spectacularly for the start of term feast. The table set with golden goblets and plates and it's lit by hundreds of floating candles. The house tables are all filled with excited students and the staff sit at the fifth table at the top of the hall. Ron, Harry, and Hermione make their way past the Slytherins, the Ravenclaws, and the Hufflepuffs to the far table with the rest of the Gryffindors and sit down next to nearly headless Nick. Now this is interesting because in the movie they have the tables going long ways. Long ways. So yeah. they weren't walking past the other tables to get to theirs. Mm-hmm. It also implies that Gryffindor gets to sit closest to the because they play favorites table. are they playing favorites or do they need the most watching Ooh, that's a good thought <laughs> i would say playing favorites just because they're gryffindors and they're goody two-shoes but no, yeah. the hufflepuffs are the goody well two-shoes. okay the gryffindors are definitely the troublemakers the gryffindors but they're like the troublemakers who make trouble because they're being heroic because they're the brave ones who dun -dun -dun -dun. like they should always be introduced by that music into a room <laughs> fair enough just saying but the gryffindor ghost is wearing a large ruff around his neck and it makes him look especially festive and it also keeps his head from wobbling too much kind of disturbing uh -huh. if if i'm being honest but you know very shakespearean yeah. of him i have to say fits with his time <laughs> He greets the trio warmly, and Harry says that he's starving and hopes the sorting ceremony goes quickly as he empties his shoes of water. Ew. Can you just imagine that walking squish, 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 I hate, squish. I hate squidgy feet. Oh my gosh, it's the worst. I hate squidgy feet so much. But also, why does he have to like empty his shoe out physically? Can't he just do a drying spell on his feet? He hasn't learned that yet. Ugh. Can he have Hermione do a drying spell on his feet? That is a very good question. <laughs> <laughs> Harry is really looking forward to the sorting ceremony, though, because he hasn't actually seen one since his own. Mm, yes, it has been a while for yeah, him. Poor so. guy. Colin Creevy excitedly calls down to Harry. All right, Harry. All right. And he tells him that his little brother Dennis is starting this year, and he hopes he's put in Gryffindor, too. This is kind of interesting as well, because... Colin is Muggleborn. Mm hmm So for there to be two Muggleborn wizards in one family. In the same is family, yeah. Cool. Mm hmm And it would only make Petunia even more jealous. Right. Suck it, Tunia. Right. Toonie. <laughs> but Harry turns to Hermione and Ron and nearly headless Nick, and he asks if siblings are usually put in the same house because he's thinking about how all seven Weasley children were placed in Gryffindor and Mr. and Mrs. Weasley were also in Gryffindor. Mm-hmm. But Hermione tells him that that's not necessarily the case because Parvati Patel's twin is in Ravenclaw and they're identical. So that makes it even weirder. Yeah. Not weird, but even more strange yeah. because they're identical twins, but they're in completely different houses. I kind of wish that was more addressed. Yeah. Sarah's been addressing that a little bit more in her rewrite from Hermione's perspective. So that's cool. That's good. Yeah. She's taking care of the girls. Let's hear it for the girls. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Harry looks at the staff table and he sees several empty seats. He knows that Hagrid is still bringing the first years across the lake and Professor McGonagall is probably making sure the entrance hall has been properly dried with a spell. Yes. <laughs> but Harry can't think of who else is missing. Hermione, who's also looking at the staff table, asks where the new Defense Against the Dark Arts teacher is. 
she's worried that they may not have been able to find anyone because there hasn't been a defense against the dark arts teacher who's lasted more than three terms since they've started at hogwarts and as we know from just while they've been in the hogwarts. potter world yes. that there actually hasn't been a steady defense against the dark arts teacher in general for mm -hmm. quite a while mm -hmm. exactly one might think that the position was cursed. Hagrid said people were starting to suspect that, so could huh. be it. Well. I wonder. I wonder if we'll ever find out more about that. Hmm. hmm. Put that in the back of our old brain noodle. File that away for future <laughs> episodes in like three years from now. <laughs> but Harry sees Professor Flitwick next to Professor Sprout, who's talking to Professor Sinistra. And then next to Professor Sinistra is Professor Snape, who loathed Harry just as much as Harry disliked him. So we got a, a mutual disliking yeah. happening between Harry and Snape. and A mutual hate society, yes. basically. And it seems as though it's grown deeper from the previous year after Harry helped Sirius Black escape. Because that's Snape's childhood enemy. I mean... One of them. He seems to have a few. Well, and one of the others being Harry's dad. So there's that. Harry's batting 0 for 2 at this point. The seat next to Snape is empty, and it's probably Professor McGonagall's. And then at the center of the table sits Albus Dumbledore, Professor Albus Dumbledore, the headmaster, staring up at the enchanted ceiling, looking lost in thought. He's thinking, man, I kind of wish that it would rain inside of here. <laughs> I should really enchant this ceiling to make it rain as well as just look like the It looks guy. like everybody's drying out too much. Yeah. Let's get some rain up in this bitch. Ron begins to complain about how hungry he is when the doors to the Great Hall open and Professor McGonagall leads in the long line of first-year students who are so wet. How wet are they? They make Harry, Ron, and Hermione appear dry by comparison. Oh, but I'm... Wait, that's not funny. That's so wet. <laughs> One particularly small student is wrapped in Hagrid's giant moleskin coat and catches Colin Creevy's eye, mouthing that he fell in the lake, but looking delighted about it. I mean, I'm not gonna lie, that sounds like super fun. Super scary, because it's nighttime, but also super fun. He obviously made it through just fine. Right? He survived. He's good. And it's not like it got him wetter. <laughs> True. <laughs> <laughs> Professor McGonagall places a stool in front of the first years and a tattered old wizard's hat atop it. There is a moment of silence before a tear near the brim of the hat opens and begins to sing its sorting song, telling of the four founders of Hogwarts, the houses they formed, and what each house proudly stands for. After the sorting hat finishes, the great hall breaks into applause and Harry remarks that it was a different song than the one it sang when they were sorted. Ron says it sings a different song each year and that it must be a boring life being a hat, so it probably spends all year making up a new song. I mean, that's part of what we do, no? Just coming up with new songs all the time? I don't know that we spend a whole year doing it. Well, we don't need to because we're awesome. Hmm. Boom. Bam. And people listen to us more than once a year. We hope. I hope. <laughs> Professor McGonagall unrolls a large parchment scroll and explains how the sorting ceremony works to the waiting first years. The first boy is sorted into Ravenclaw, and Harry catches a glimpse of the Ravenclaw seeker, Cho Chang, as he watches the boy join the other Ravenclaws at their table. You know you want to say it. Cho Chang! 
Do you feel better? I almost said it when I was reading it, but I waited. I thought you might. That's why I was giving you the opportunity now. Thanks. You're welcome. The next student is sorted into Slytherin, and then Slytherins cheer loudly. Fred and George hiss at the boy. <laughs> Which sure. Which I think is funny because his hiss is snake and there's a slither. Yeah, oh, yeah. We all get it, Ellen. Uh-huh. Yeah, we all get it. Trust me. And Harry <laughs> wonders if he knows that Slytherin has turned out more dark witches and wizards than any other house before. Not all of them, but more. Again, that's a lot of, like, bias against Slytherin. Right but it's there. not wrong. It's not wrong, but it, does that really need to be the first goddamn thing that... That Harry thinks of, probably. That anyone, that anyone thinks of. But it was Harry who wondered. Yeah, which sucks. The next two students are sorted into Hufflepuff, and Dennis Creevy is the next name to be called. He stumbles forward in Hagrid's coat, and Hagrid enters the hall at the same time. He winks at Harry, Ron, and Hermione as he takes his seat, and the sorting hat shouts out Gryffindor when it's placed on the younger Creevy's head. Did it shout out Gryffindor or did it shout out Gryffindor? I'm going to go with that. (laughs) Hagrid and the other Gryffindors clap loudly as Dennis walks over to join his brother, telling him that something had pushed him back in the boat when he fell into the lake. Colin says that it was probably the giant squid and begins to point Harry out to him, who looks away and focuses intently on the sorting ceremony. (laughs) Ron complains about being hungry again, and nearly headless Nick tells him that the sorting is more important than food. Ron snaps... That is if you're dead. (laughs) What a dick. I'm right there with Ron, though. But Nick ignores him and says that he hopes the new Gryffindors are up to scratch so they can continue their winning streak. I mean, as long as Harry's there, like... Yeah, you know. As long as Harry's there to come out with the last 60 points at the end of the day. (laughs) The meddling points? The meddling points, yes. The final student is called and sorted into Hufflepuff, and Professor McGonagall carries away the stool and sorting hat. Ron is very eager for the feast to begin, and Dumbledore stands, smiling, to welcome the students. He says he has only two words for them. Tuck in. I legit didn't know what tuck in meant for the longest time. <laughs> We've mentioned it, that before. It's yeah. just such a very weird phrase. Going but, yeah. to bed? What? No, I'm yeah. hungry. <laughs> Ron and Harry give a loud, hear, hear, as the dishes magically fill with food. Nearly headless Nick watches sadly as Ron, Harry, and Hermione load their plates with food. Saying food a lot. Make me hungry. I know, right? <laughs> Ron feels better as he eats mashed potatoes, and nearly headless Nick tells them that there was trouble in the kitchens earlier, and that they're lucky there is a feast at all. Harry asks what happened through a mouthful of food, and the Gryffindor ghost said, Peeves, of course. I bet it involved water balloons. Peeves. Peeves. Not Ed Sheeran. Oh, yeah, yeah, Okay, yeah, we're good. <laughs> Peeves had wanted to attend the feast, which is out of the question since he can't look at a plate of food without throwing it. (laughs) (laughs) So there was a ghost council where the fat friar wanted to give him a chance because the fat friar is way too kind. I mean, he is the Hufflepuff ghost. Yes. So. The Slytherin ghost, the Bloody Baron, who is said to be the only person at Hogwarts who can control Peeves at all, had, I'm assuming, figuratively put his foot down (laughs) and said no. Nearly Headless Nick says that Peeves wreaked havoc in the kitchen and terrified the house elves, which is answered by a clang as Hermione knocks over her goblet of pumpkin juice and horrified says, there are house elves here? (laughs) That was a really good Hermione impression. I liked that. (laughs) 
Thanks. Nearly Headless Nick says, of course, that there are over a hundred, more than any other dwelling in Britain. Hermione says she's never seen one before, and Nick says that they come out of the kitchen at night to tend the fires and clean. Isn't that the mark of a good house elf, that you don't know it's there? That's what they say about maids in hotels, too. And children. And well, I mean, that's the perfect child. (laughs) (laughs) Hermione asks if they get paid, if they have holidays and sick leave, and nearly headless Nick laughs hard enough for his ruff to slip in his head to flop over. (laughs) Like, how? How are you not adding in this comedy but you're making shit up <laughs> New old. he laughs at the idea saying that house elves don't want sick leave and pension and hermione pushes away her hardly touched plate of food ron tells her that she won't help them by starving herself and she tells him that the food was made with slave labor refusing to eat another bite i get that point but she's already been eating it for this long right <laughs> I mean, good with your principles there, but not very practical. But also, there are no vending machines at Hogwarts. There should be. (gasps) How would you pay for them? Well, they have money. Never mind. (laughs) (laughs) The enchanted ceiling flashes as the rain continues to fall heavily, and the dishes on the table are instantly replaced with different puddings. Ron tries to entice her with the different desserts, but she just glares at him. After the sweets have all been eaten, they magically disappear and Dumbledore stands again. The hall falling quiet almost immediately. That is a hell of a power. That really is. However, not a lick of that happened in the movie. Nope. (laughs) None of it. Not only did it streamline straight through the entire eating portion of the feast... In addition to bringing in Bobatons before we have any idea who they are and why they are showing up, we also see a large mast rising out of the lake as a boat appears and we hear Professor Dumbledore's voice saying he'd like to make an announcement now that they are all settled in and sorted. Considering that we saw them arrive before the feast, this totally implies that their guests just had to hang out in their respective carriage and ship while the Hogwarts students ate a grand feast. Apparently they weren't invited. No. Not at all. That's kind of shitty. You're our guests. Eat over there. (laughs) Maybe the house elves brought them stuff. It's still kind of shitty. On their boats. I mean, maybe, but... I mean, there's only so many seats in the Great Hall, so I'm saying maybe they were like, hey, just chill on your boat and in your carriage and stuff, and we'll bring you some food. Well, that's not how it happened in the book. It's not. However... This shouldn't surprise you anymore. (laughs) It cuts to a rear view of Dumbledore at his podium. Argus Filch, a new member of the Ministry of Silly Walks, comes running in elbows to knees. Dumbledore continues his speech, but pauses as Filch reaches him and whispers in his ear. He responds, and Filch brings his knees to his nose back down the aisle and out the door. Aside from Filch's bizarre jog through the Great Hall, this starts to line up with the book. A little. Like a little bit. Like not really. Yeah. But a little. A little bit. Smidgen. Aside from the weird ass jog. But Dumbledore goes back to his announcement and shares that Hogwarts has been chosen to host the Tri Wizard Tournament. You're joking! Wait, we haven't gotten there yet. I'll get back to that. I say I'm not joking. There's a lot of excited chatter as Dumbledore continues explaining that the tournament involves one student from each of three different schools who will compete in a series of magical contests, and they will get more into that later. 
In the book, Dumbledore first tells the students he has a few notices. Mr. Filch's list of banned items has been expanded, a reminder that the forest on the ground is forbidden to students, as well as Hogsmeade to first and second years, and he regrets that the inner house Quidditch Cup will not take place this year. What? But, but, how is Gryffindor going to win right at the very end again? What? Sports ball! But sports ball, though! Which is what Harry and the other Gryffindor Quidditch players would be saying if they weren't completely dumbstruck. Mm-hmm. As Dumbledore goes on to say that there's another event that will be starting in October and continuing throughout the year that will occupy the teachers too much for Quidditch. But he assures the students that the event will be immensely entertaining. I mean, Quidditch is immensely entertaining, but fine, whatever. Right? <sighs> Sports ball. Jeez. What's funny about this, too, is the way that Dumbledore chooses to make the announcement about it. He's still keeping that mystery going. Mm -hmm. They're all just sitting there going, what the fuck is this Avengers telescope, damn yeah. it? <laughs> and then, just to keep it going, as Dumbledore is about to announce what the event is, the doors to the Great Hall bang open and a man with a long staff and a black traveling cloak enters and makes his way towards the teacher's table with everyone in the hall watching him. The man limps heavily, and a clunk is sounding with every other step that he takes towards Dumbledore. Ooh. I wonder who it is. Dun-dun-dun. This interruption happens in the movie, too, obviously. But it's set up a bit differently, and we'll talk about that when we get there. Yeah, because it kind of happens later on, mm -hmm. as opposed to at this point. Yeah. Hermione gasps as another flash of lightning illuminates the man's gnarled-looking face. He has scars and a part of his nose seems to be missing, but his eyes are what make him the most frightening. One is small, dark, and beady, while the other is large, bright blue, and moves in all directions, including around the back and stuff. One might say that his eye is mad. Huh. huh. Wonder what his name is. Yeah. Let's find out, shall we? The man reaches out, taking Dumbledore's hand, and the two exchange a few words before he takes the empty seat next to Dumbledore. He begins eating a sausage after he sniffs it to make sure it's safe, I'm sure. I mean, I always sniff my sausages. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not cutting that out. You're all welcome for that. <laughs> and that being said... His blue eye continues to move wildly around as the other eye remains on his food. Like it's mad. Like it's mad. <laughs> Dumbledore introduces the man as Professor Moody, the new Defense Against the Dark Arts teacher. And this type of announcement is normally greeted by applause, but only Hagrid and Dumbledore clap. That's super awkward. <laughs> oh, that actually makes me feel really bad for him. It's kind of sad. Well, everyone else is pretty caught up by his appearance and just stare dumbly at him. So Y'all are British. At least polite clap or something. No, oh, poor oh. Professor Moody. Oh, sadness. Harry asks if this is Mad-Eye Moody, the man Mr. Weasley had been helping that morning, and Ron says it must be him. What? His name is so apt. It's, <laughs> it's almost as if... He was given that nickname because of his eye. His Mad-Eye. His Mad-Eye indeed. His Mad-Eye Moody indeed. <laughs> he is Mad-Eye Moody indeed. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> Moody seems unaffected by the chilly welcome and takes a long pull from the flask he takes out of his coat. 
His motion pulls his cloak up a few inches and Harry sees that he has a carved wooden leg with a clawed foot. So there's the explanation for the thump sound. Did he take it off of a pool table or? Apparently. (laughs) That is exactly what a pool table leg looks like. Yes. (laughs) So I see he brought his fun flask with him. Yes. The fun flask. Always got to bring your fun flask with you. I have one that's sparkly and teal. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. Is yours a plot point? It is not a MacGuffin, no. No, damn. Oh, well. Dumbledore clears his throat and resumes telling the students about the exciting event they have the honor to be hosting over the next few months, and that this event hasn't taken place in over a century. We're getting there. We're getting there, guys. It's almost there. He announces with great pleasure that Hogwarts will be hosting the Triwizard Tournament, and Fred loudly exclaims, You're joking! (laughs) And there it is. There it is. This helps to break the tension in the hall and cause everyone to laugh. Dumbledore says that he's not joking and gets a little sidetracked as he remembered a joke he heard about a troll, a hag, and a leprechaun who go into a bar. Which was our trivia question. Sure was. Mm-hmm. McGonagall clears her throat and Dumbledore gets back on track. And this is where we're going to stop for this week because this is a really long book and movie section. But it will bring us to the new and returning actors section. The first one is Robbie Coltrane as Rubius Hagrid. Love Robbie Coltrane. He was just the perfect Hagrid. I just loved him. Love him so much. I love the fork in the hand. And yeah. The, he's all like Twitter-pated. Mm-hmm. Like, he's adorable. Hagrid's got a crush. And yeah, Robbie Coltrane, he played that really nicely. Nothing really new to add on to his portrayal of Hagrid. It just keeps getting better, I think. Yeah. We also saw Michael Gambon as Albus Dumbledore. And I know he's not your favorite, Nope. That's okay. As far as Dumbledore goes, he's not quite up to par. It's not necessarily his fault. It has a lot to do with how movie Dumbledore is written. Mm -hmm. But I do think that he brought too much intensity to it. Yeah. And Dumbledore is a lot more subtle Mm -hmm. from the books. I agree. So my dislike of him isn't specifically him as the actor. Mm -hmm. I think he's a good actor. I just don't think he understood the character of Dumbledore, which is partially because the script writers didn't give him Dumbledore and also because he never read the books. Yeah, I fully agree with you. As an actor, he's not a bad actor. He's right. a wonderful actor. And everything else I've seen him in, he's great. But for this, I just don't think he was Dumbledore. I don't think Dumbledore would have ever raised his hands up and just screamed silence like that. Like in the books, he was shooting off purple firecrackers to get people's attention. He didn't yeah. yell. And But again... As somebody who's trying to silence a room, like, he did a good job acting through that. My issue is that it wasn't Dumbledore. Yeah. So. I agree. That's about all I have to say about Michael Gammon. I I agree. We also have David Bradley as Argus Felch. And I still absolutely adore him. However, I do not know what that knee thing was. That run was the weirdest thing. (laughs) Like, it was funny. It was funny, but why? Yeah, Exactly. It didn't need to be. It, it didn't. didn't. Like, again, it's another example of this movie kind of trying to make Goblet of Fire into a comedy. Right. And it's, that made it like slapstick. Like yeah. that was, I just didn't like it. I will say in a different scenario, mm-hmm. 
or had it been something that happened in the book and we were expecting that to happen it would have been hilarious it was the funniest fucking run i've ever seen exactly like it was hilarious but it was hilarious in like a what the fuck is is this happening what like why did he even have to run in there and it there was just a lot of things wrong with it and it wasn't david bradley's fault yeah exactly so not david bradley but good physical comedy yeah not the right moment for it in my opinion yeah i do think that the whispered exchange with him and dumbledore was pretty funny yeah like he made some good facial expressions with it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He's a great actor. Mm-hmm. I love him in everything I've seen him in, as we've talked about this before. Yeah. You know, <laughs> this isn't our first time at the Argus Filch Rodeo. No, it is not. <laughs> but yeah, so he did a good job. And yeah. We'll see where we go from here, I guess. But that'll bring us to this week's Potter Ponderings. We didn't end up with a ton to ponder about this week, so just for fun... What does happen when the troll, the hag, and the leprechaun walk into the bar? Find the post on our Facebook page and share your thoughts. We really, really look forward to reading them. Mm-hmm. We got some creative people listening to us. I really want to hear. Mm-hmm. Definitely. But here we are at our Sorting Hat story, which is from our newest patron, Lisa Lotta Hertenbach. Very good. I feel like I get to, but that's just because my American accent does not want to make that sound. So. No. It's not... I'm trying for you, though, Lisa Lotta. Anyway, she writes, I'm a Ravenclaw and a bit of a Hufflepuff. My wand is made of redwood with a unicorn hair core, 12 and a quarter inches, and quite bendy flexibility. My Patronus is a dapple gray mare, which I really like. I got into Harry Potter quite young. I vividly remember seeing Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone on videotape when I was about seven or eight. I was very impressed and also admittedly scared by the last scene that included Voldemort's face on Quirrell's head. After I had also seen and loved The Chamber of Secrets, I started reading the books around age 10, meaning I only had to wait for the last two books to arrive. I have read and reread them in my own language again and again, but in the past few years I've been reading and listening to them in English. I love the word building, the imperfect yet extremely interesting characters, and the well-written tension and excitement. I will never stop reading the books and watching the movies. Harry Potter always makes me feel better. We feel the same way. I know. This is why you fit in so well with us, Lisa Lotta. I'm so glad that you shared your story with us and have joined us as a keeper that's a patron. We love having you here. So, yay. Yeah, we really do. Thank you so much. And if any of you other keepers out there listening would like us to read your Sorting Hat story on a future episode, you can email it to us at justkeeprolling at gmail.com. Let us know your house, wand, Patronus, how you got into Harry Potter, and anything else you might want to share with us. Or you can message it to us over social media. And honestly, once we get the phone number established, we might just we allow do them over Sorting that. Hat stories. You could just tell us your own story and we could enter it in that way. So keep that in mind as well. That's fun. Yeah. <laughs> That'll bring us to this week's trivia question, which is, what did George say was the password to get into Gryffindor Tower? The prize for the first one who responds with the correct answer and the code word, hashtag, a prefect told me, will get a sticker. Another way to get a sticker is to rate and review us through iTunes. If you don't have an Apple account, then you can write us a recommendation on our Facebook page. Make sure to email us at justkeeprolling at gmail.com to let us know you did and we'll get back to you to figure out which sticker you want and where to send it. Don't forget to find us and follow us on Facebook at JKR Podcast and Twitter and Instagram at Just Keep Rolling. 
Following us on Podbean at justkeeprolling.podbean.com will get you the episode as early as possible and give you a leg up in answering the trivia question. Which you will need to get to it faster than Mike or Max. Facts. Those two are quick. I know. <laughs> you can also go to our website at justkeeprolling.com to check out our Just Keep Rolling and Harry Potter related merchandise for sale. Don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel where we post our weekly podcast episodes, cooking show episodes, vlogs, bloopers, and other random videos. If you would like to support us as a patron, you can sign up on patreon.com slash justkeeprolling. $2 and up a month will get you some awesome perks like Just Keep Rolling swag, access to patron-only Facebook groups, chats, our Discord channel, virtual hangouts, and more. As always, any support you can give is greatly appreciated. And join us next week when we talk about the second half of Chapter 12, the Triwizard Tournament, and the still not really corresponding film scenes. Thanks for listening. We hope you hear us again. I'm Katie. I'm Ellen. Until the next time, just, just keep, keep rolling. rolling.